If you guys would, please turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 21. 2 Kings chapter 21, and we're going to continue in our study through the book of 2 Kings. You guys know you're a legit church. You've just been journeying through 2 Kings together. That's amazing. Uh, what, a, what an amazing section of scripture it is. And as you're turning there, um, I just want to just share. Uh, I was here back in April, and it was a true privilege and an honor um, to be here, um, to get to know Josiah and Kimber and the whole team, um, Taylor and everyone. And uh, I'm just so grateful to be able to be at your church. Um, I love Josiah and Kimber and their whole family a lot. And one thing I like to remind people if I ever get a chance to come and share, um, you know, Jesus said in Matthew, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so there are a lot of organizations, a lot of brands, a lot of people that all of us are exposed to every single week. And there are, are a lot of those things that seem to be very powerful things, right? Like, man, we look at Amazon and we're like, that's like the most powerful corporation on earth. We look at Twitter, AKA X, we're like, it's incredible. But, but if you think about it, any brand, any organization, any politician, any person of influence that you think about, like one day that thing, um, their, their fame or that organization will come to an end. But Jesus said, the church that I am building will never fail, and it will stand forever. And, and so I just want to encourage, if you guys are here and you're serving, whether you're serving on setup, whether you're serving in kids, whether you're serving in guest services, on the worship team, on the hospitality team, bringing in backpacks, like you guys are contributing to something that Jesus is building. And personally, like I want to be somebody, like if Jesus is building it, if Jesus is working on it, if Jesus is passionate about it, that's what I want to be passionate about. Amen? And so you guys are a part of what Jesus is doing here. And I believe he's doing great things in South Florida. So um, as we dive in, just as a matter of context, um, you guys have been studying through 2 Kings for quite a while. And what, really what we've seen is uh, the rise and the fall of the nation of Israel. And we've also seen uh, the nation of Judah, this divided kingdom who uh, has been sort of in a series of ups and downs, highs and lows. Uh, some kings are good, and so things are good, and some kings are bad, and so things are bad. But what we often see is even the good kings, uh, they can't make it the whole way, and they kind of struggle along the way. So even if you were here last week, um, I believe Shane Gallagher shared about Hezekiah, who was a good king, and yet he struggled at the end. And I was thinking about it. Um, it, was a, it was a big week for me this week uh, because uh, it was iPhone upgrade week for me. Um, does anyone love iPhone upgrade week? It's the best feeling in the world. Um, I, I'm like a three every three year kind of guy. And so my phone was literally like, it was a desktop phone because the battery was dying so much. I just had to keep it charged at all times. So I needed a new phone, but I made a mistake because I, um, I, I thought that my phone was going to be the same size as my old phone, but it wasn't. And so uh, I don't have a case for it. I'm waiting for a case to be shipped to me. And so I am in a precarious position of like, my iPhone is caseless right now. Yeah, you guys are just scared. You're like, please put it back in my pocket. <laughs> and I, so this week has been the week where it's like, I'm not standing up unless I know where my phone is. I'm putting my phone as high as it can be so my kids don't get to it. It's like, it's a scary place to be. And I do feel like kind of like the nation of Judah is in this place where like every week you come, you're like, is this gonna be the week? 
Is it going to fall and crash and shatter? Or is this going to be the week where, all right, we're safe for one more week? And so that's kind of where we've been at. And uh, this week is, it's, it's kind of the week. It's the week where we see like, okay, it's really going downhill now. And I've, I've titled the message today, Faithful in the Free Fall. Faithful in the Free Fall. Because I believe today what we're going to see in our text is that uh, the nation of Israel, or the, excuse me, the nation of Judah, um, a king is going to come on the scene today that's one of the worst kings in the history of the nation. And it's going into free fall. And we're going to discover it's, it's, it's really doomed. And so we're going to discover uh, today kind of what God has to say and what he wants to speak about. And so if you would, 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 1, and it says this. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother was Hepzibah. I don't really know how to pronounce it, but I think my guess is as good as yours, and I have the microphone. His mother was Hepzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. Now, just an interesting note. Um, we discovered that Manasseh was how old when he started reigning? 12 years old. Now, we learned last week that Hezekiah fell deathly ill, and that the prophet Isaiah came to him and said that he was going to die, but that he prayed and begged God, and God extended his life for 15 years. So Manasseh was born during those bonus 15 years that God gave Hezekiah, and I wonder if he had known how horrible uh, it would have gone with, Hez with Manasseh if Hezekiah would have prayed and interceded. We don't know. But it's an interesting thing to note that this Manasseh is actually going to be the worst king in the history of Judah. And not only the worst king, but take Judah to a place that, he could not, that Judah could not recover from. Let's look at verse 3. Manasseh rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. And he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. And so once again, we see he's... He's rebuilding pagan altars that his father had torn down. He's beginning to institute all of these different ways for people to uh, worship different gods, different deities. And then look at this at the end of verse 3, and it says, He worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. So he is an equal opportunity worshiper. He will worship anybody. Like if there's some God that he can find, he'll worship them. He'll worship them all. And it reminds me of what G.K. Chesterton once said. He said, when a man ceases to worship God, he doesn't worship nothing, but he will worship anything. And so Manasseh has said, I'll worship anything. Verse 4, it says this, And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So not only is he building altars uh, to God in these high places in rural areas, but he is now also building altars to false pagan gods in the temple of God. And it says this, and he burned his son as an offering. So he literally sacrificed his son as a human sacrifice, a way to appease different gods, and something that uh, God, the true God, Yahweh, had repeatedly condemned in the law. 
And this really was uh, kind of the epitome, like when a king had really gone downhill, the king was sacrificing his own children. And, and so uh, he did this, and then it says, and he used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Yeah, it sounds like it. Verse 7, and the carved image of Asherah that he had made, he set up in the house which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not cause the feet of Israel to wander anymore out of the land that I gave their fathers. If only they will be careful to do according to all that I have commanded them and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they did not listen and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord had destroyed before the people of Israel. So let's rewind for a minute because right now, we are in this moment at the very end of the nation of Judah. But if you think back all the way to the beginning of the book, when God actually established the nation of Israel in the book of Exodus, God gives the people of Israel, and this was even before there was a divided nation, there was one unified nation, Moses was leading them out of slavery, out of Exodus. He leads them to Mount Sinai, where they receive the law and receive the covenant. And God gives them a reason why he chose them and why he selected them as a people. He said, listen, I didn't select you as a people because you are this amazing, special people, because you are the most powerful people, the most prosperous people. In fact, I did not select you for your glory at all. I selected you for my glory. He said, I chose you because I'm going to bless you. And as you obey me, I will continue to bless you. And then guess what's going to happen? That the more I bless you, the more you worship me, the more you glorify me, the people all around are going to look and they are actually going to see my goodness through you. And so God's intention when he picked this nation and when he poured out his favor on the nation of Israel is his intention was that they would be a missionary nation that they would literally look out at all of the, 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 out of all the peoples in the entire world, people would look at them and God's glory would shine forth from them. And now Manasseh is, is not just doing these hidden acts of rebellion against God. Um, he has actually made it part of the culture. He, he has actually gone public with it. And so now God's glory is being tainted because of the idolatry that's happening in the nation of Israel. And look at verse 10. It says this, The Lord said by his prophets, because Manasseh, the king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him and has made Judah also to sin with these idols. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I am bringing upon Jerusalem and Judah such disaster that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Okay, you, you don't want a prophet to say to you, something's going to happen to you, and it's going to cause everybody who hears about its ears to tingle, right? Uh, is anybody here, like, raise your hand if you're, like, in the medical field or, like, doctor, nurse, anybody like this? No one. We're in trouble. Hopefully, like, no, there's no... <laughs> 
one, one nurse here. Okay, you're, you're it, you're our hope, okay? Um, so, are you a doctor, nurse? Okay, you don't have to answer. Anyway, sorry. Um, so, I, I'm per someone that like, when I hear about um, anything medical, like I don't wanna hear about it. That's kind of my philosophy. And I remember I had to take one class um, and it was uh, nutrition in college. And I thought it was gonna be like, how to eat protein and count your macros. And it got really deep into like very intense nutrition and biology and it was like 8 a.m. And I was like, every morning I thought I was gonna pass out. My ears were tingling, okay? That's what the prophet is describing. When people hear about the disaster that's gonna happen on Judah, they're like, ooh, like I'm, I'm, I'm done. Don't, don't tell me anymore. Verse 13, it says this, I will stretch over Jerusalem. Remember God talking through the prophets, giving a warning. He says, I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab. And I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning upside down. And I will forsake the remnant of my heritage and I will give them into the hand of their enemies and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies because they have done what is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the day their fathers came out of Egypt even to this day. So once again, the, the prophets are warning uh, the people of, of Israel. And God, throughout this time, as the people of Israel and as the people of Judah are rebelling and walking away, God is over and over again, he's raising up these, these prophets, these men and women of God. And even in your Bibles, you can read about Hosea and Joel and Habakkuk and Isaiah, all of these men who God raised up. And during this time, they were prophesying and they were warning the nation of Israel. They were saying, be careful. The, the, the road you go down it is a disastrous road. And, and I think it's important for us to know this uh, because I think some people here, and maybe you're new to church, maybe you grew up in church and you're just coming back for the first time, or maybe you even are thinking about somebody that you know that maybe uh, isn't walking with God right now. And one of the things that often we think about when, when we're in that situation, maybe somebody who's far from God or who's just trying to come back to God for uh, the first time in a long time, you're thinking to yourself like, okay, God is kind of this like vengeful and judgmental God. He is just ready to strike me down the first time I make a mistake. Maybe you even grew up in that kind of an environment where it's like, oh man, you make a mistake, uh, you're, you're getting sort of the wrath of God speech. And, and we have to understand something that God is actually a gracious and a merciful God. And we're gonna see that as we wrap up our passage today. And, and so God uses these, these words from prophets, he uses them as, as warnings. He's saying, listen, you're, you're walking down a path and it's not a good path to walk down. Uh, th there's a beautiful verse in uh, Psalms and it says that God knows that we are but dust. So God understands our weakness, right? Like, and, and we all know, we're, we can all be honest with ourselves to say, we are weak. We are frail. We make mistakes. Um, I, I, a couple of, of months ago, I'll tell you a mistake I made. A couple of months ago, um, I was going out uh, with my wife, Katie. We were going on a date. And uh, as you guys know, uh, we have two young kids. And so uh, date nights are a little bit rare. And so we were driving and uh, the babysitter had come over. We were driving out of our neighborhood. And... Listen, before I tell you this, I, I just want to let you know, I don't want you to judge me too much. Um, I'm usually like pretty good at not putting my foot in my mouth. 
Um, like when you're a pastor in 2023, you have to really like keep track of what you're saying and make sure you don't say something dumb. And, and so I'm usually pretty good, but I made a, a dreadful mistake at this moment because uh, we got into our car, we're driving literally out of the driveway, haven't made it out of the neighborhood yet. And she goes, man, I'm so excited. We haven't had a date night in like a month. And I said, man, you always exaggerate all of the difficult things in our life. Um, it was a terrible mistake. I shouldn't have said it, okay? Um, yeah, like there's people who are like in the crowd like, oh, that was a bad idea. Um, so listen, um, that's a silly mistake that I made. Um, trust me, it cost me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, we all make mistakes. God knows that we are but dust. But, but the, the question is not, man, do we make mistakes? Do we mess up? The question is, do we ignore the warnings do we ignore all of the roadsides that are saying stop and keep on going? And that's what's happening over and over again in the nation of Judah. Now we're going to wrap up our passage with this. Look at verse 20 or look at verse 16. It says this, moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to the other because the sin that he made Judah to sin was so that they did so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, the rest of the acts of Manasseh and all that he did and the sin that he had committed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the king of Judah? And Manasseh slept with his father and was buried in the garden of his house, in the garden of Uzzah, and Ammon and his son reigned in his place. So, we learn about Manasseh, the worst king in Judah's history. And not only do we see that this guy was a terrible guy, but we also see that the entire nation united in rebelling against God along with him. And so this is like a difficult passage to read, not only because of the horrors of what Manasseh did, but because it is kind of the end of a tragedy that God poured out his favor on this nation and they rebelled over and over and over again. And so I was thinking about and praying about as I was thinking about sharing this with you guys, man, what does God want to show us today? What does God want to show the exchange church today? And I think sometimes, um, in some ways, we, we can actually relate to this passage. And I think in other ways, um, I don't think, uh, there, there's one way we can relate to it, and then there's another way where maybe we can't relate to it so much. Let me explain what I mean. I think that we can relate to this passage because I think all of us intrinsically know as we look out at the world that um, something's not right in the world. Something is broken in the world. And I'm not even saying that because like I'm a pastor and pastors are supposed to say, oh, the world's so horrible out there. No, I, I think like most people that you talk to, even if you just walk up to a random person on the street and be like, hey, do you think things are going like amazing right now? Or do you think like we're struggling? And I think most people would say we're struggling. In fact, even sometimes uh, when I share the gospel with people, when I share the good news about Jesus, I like to start with common ground. And one of the best ways I like to ask is, hey, like, do you admit, can we agree like the world is kind of a broken place? And I've never had anybody be like, nah, everything seems great to me. And what, what we see here is that not only in, in, in this passage 
that, that the world is a broken place and that there is sickness and that there is death, but there is also this human rebellion. People hurt each other. People are violent to each other. People are selfish and horrible to each other. And, and we see this throughout the text today. Child sacrifice, violence against each other, worship of false gods, spiritual but not worshiping the one true God. We see all of this stuff. And what it seems like and feels like, at least to me as I'm reading this, is that like th there's nothing good going on. Like, like it's almost like so dark, everything feels to be broken. And so I feel like as we look out, and maybe all of us at one time or another, we've been checking our phones, we've been watching something on a screen, we've been talking to a friend, and we feel ourselves kind of slipping into despair a little bit because we feel like, man, like things are just broken. Th things are messed up. How, how, how do we respond? Now, the way that I feel like maybe it's hard to relate to is when I read this passage, I almost don't see any light at all. But here's what I am encouraged about. Today, all over South Florida, all over Florida, all over our nation, there are Christians who are gathering in church services just like this and they're worshiping Jesus. Like right now, um, two hours north in Melbourne, Florida, at my church, people are worshiping Jesus. People are gathering to sing and, and to listen to God's word and to draw near to him. And, and so even though things are dark, I believe that, that today we can come in here and we can experience a message of hope because God still moves in dark days. And so really the, the thing that I want to ask and for us to reflect on for the rest of our time is this, man, how are we faithful in the middle of a free fall? When we see everything going downhill, when we enter into a time where we look around at the world and we start to freak out, and I believe most Christians have that question, man, how am I supposed to do this? What am I supposed to do? I see things breaking around me. I see injustice. I see things that aren't right in the world. How am I supposed to respond? And oftentimes I think we do it the wrong way. Some people, they respond by compromising. They say, man, I, th th this message that we're bringing, this, this word that we're bringing, it's just outdated. Maybe God's way doesn't work in 2023 anymore. And so we compromise. Some people respond the wrong way by hiding. And, and they say, man, I, I, don't wanna, I don't want anyone to know about my faith because I'm afraid I'm going to, Someone's going to hate me for it. I'm afraid I'm going to get criticism for it. And so I hide. Some of us uh, were tempted to respond by fighting the wrong way. I, I think about uh, Peter who, when Jesus was arrested, he took out his sword and he cut off the high priest's servant's ear. Now, Peter, he had the right motive. His heart was like, man, Jesus is in trouble. I love Jesus. But he fought the wrong fight. And so how do we respond? How are we faithful in the middle of a time that seems to be very dark? And from this passage, I believe that we're going to identify three things. Three things. The first one is this. You guys can write it down if you're taking notes. How to be faithful in the free fall. Number one, we treasure the presence of God. We treasure the presence of God. Now, let me explain what I mean. Throughout the passage that we just read, it's fairly evident to me that Manasseh did a lot of terrible things. 
But it was interesting that I noted as I read that some of the things that maybe you and I would think are the worst things, the, the author of 2 Kings just kind of glanced over. By the way, child sacrifice. By the way, consulted a bunch of witchcraft. By the way, shed innocent blood. But he spends multiple verses talking about the fact that Manasseh set up altars in the temple of God. And he spent multiple uh, verses in scripture saying, hey, God put his name on Jerusalem. God put his name on the temple and Manasseh desecrated that. Manasseh messed that up. Now, if, if I'm ranking sin, like I think child sacrifice probably worse than building an altar, putting some rocks up and stacking some rocks in another temple. But, but here's the reason. Here's why that's so important. Because if you forget about the fear of the Lord, if you forget to treasure God, then anything else and everything else is possible. And so it starts with us having a fear of the Lord and a respect and a reverence for his name. So, so let's talk for a minute about the presence of God. What is the presence of God? Well, in one sense, God is everywhere all at once. And so in one sense, you can never escape the presence of God. But in another sense, God shows up in places where he is desired. Like th this space right here, is this normally from Monday to Friday? Is this a, a cafeteria? Is that right? Okay, so God's here on Monday to the Friday. God loves these kids. God, God is for these kids. We are for these kids. But man, when we put up this beautiful setup that we have, when we gather here to worship, this moves from a, high, or a middle school or an elementary school cafeteria to a church. It's a place where God's people gather. It's a place where God says, I want to meet you here. God's presence is here. And even when Manasseh's great, 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 great grandfather Solomon built the temple to begin with, they did a dedication ceremony and God's presence descended as if a thick cloud. God was saying, I'm living here. I'm staying here. I'm dwelling with you. But check out what happens. Uh, another prophet, his name is Ezekiel, and he actually has a vision of, of this temple. And it is a vision of that cloud that was there that had been staying there, that cloud leaving. And it was a vision of God's glory departing. And, and the, the point that Ezekiel is making is he's like, listen, you guys are still sacrificing. You guys are still doing the things that are religious rituals that God commanded you to do, but God's not there anymore. His presence has left. And so for you and for me, we have to be people that we have to say, man, God, I am treasuring your presence. When I think about the presence of God, I like to think about God and how he moved in the book of Exodus. God delivered uh, the people of Israel, that he delivered them from slavery. And what we see is that his presence appeared as a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, it was there to provide protection. It was there to provide guidance, to provide direction, to provide nourishment. And listen, when God draws near to us, he is the great I am. He takes care of our needs. He walks with us. He encourages us. And even when Moses is praying to God one day, he says this, I believe it's on the screen in Exodus chapter 33. He's praying and he's talking to God. 
And he says to Moses, said to God, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in you going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So here's what God's saying. Or here's what Moses is saying. Moses praying to God. He's supposed to lead these people. And he says, God, the most important thing is not my leadership style. The most important thing is not our organizational strength. The most important thing is that your presence goes with us. And he says, if your presence goes with us, we will be distinct from every other people on the earth. And I want to encourage us. The reason any church is distinct is because of the presence of God. Like, like if you think about it, there is plenty of organizations or brands that you can think about, and they have something distinctive about them. Um, probably Deerfield Beach has this. We have this. Uh, in Melbourne, there is a restaurant where the food is really good and uh, the service is really bad. But, but people go to it because the food is so good. Ours is this pizza joint. It's called uh, Bizarro's on the Beach. And uh, the people there are, they, they are not saved. I just fully believe it. They are just mean. Um, if they were in the Bible, they may have been Manasseh. Like, if you go there, you better be prepared. Don't have your sensitive emotion, like, you know, have a strong heart. Just go in there, order your pizza, and get out as fast as you can. But people go there because it's like, man, this is the best pizza. Do you guys have, anyone have a place like that that's popping in your mind? Okay, so it's, it's something that's distinct about them. Even like I think about Amazon. Amazon is distinct because they are the most convenient thing. Like you're on the app on Amazon and it's like, we have someone in your neighborhood right now ready to drop off this item if you place your order. <laughs> like they are next door to you. They will bring it over. That's what makes them distinct. And I think sometimes when we think about church, we start thinking about outward things that make us distinct. Man, exchange has the best worship. Exchange has the best teaching. That is true. They are awesome. Exchange uh, loves and serves the community with the backpack drive. These are great things. These should be things, and churches should find areas specifically to serve. But listen, what actually makes a church distinct is the presence of God. What actually changes lives is the presence of God. And as awesome as worship was, as talented as you guys are, man, what's actually going to sustain us over time is not whether they all sounded great up here, but whether we encountered God and we left here changed because we encountered God. We got to treasure the presence of God. How do we treasure the presence of God? Well, we do things in our lives that make him feel welcome. We do things in our lives that communicate to God, God, we want you here. See, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to hope for God to be there. He is there. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And he has promised to never leave you or forsake you. So once again, if you're thinking here, God is just like looking to bolt at first sign of trouble. No, no, no. He is more committed to us than we can ever be to him. He pursues us. He loves us. His heart is for us. 
But you and I, the way that we treasure his presence is that we say, God, you're here. You're with me. I want to do everything I can to make you feel welcome here. Um, th there's times, and if you're not a parent, maybe you won't understand this, but, but uh, if you have little kids, like there are areas where you feel very comfortable and there are areas where your guard is up. And especially like for my, my wife and I, if we get invited over to somebody's house, like we can tell if they're like, we're stoked your kids are here. Or we could tell if they're like, hey, we've got a lot of glass everywhere, so if you could keep an eye on them, please do. And, and man, like, we love both. We, we, love we love whoever invites us over. We love, we love the people in our community. But, but there are things that you can do, uh, like, you know, putting padding everywhere that's going to make us feel more comfortable. And in the same way, man, there's things that we can do, whether it's pursuing holiness, whether it's reading God's word, whether it's spending time with him, whether it's cutting out the things in our lives that are not making God feel welcome, we can treasure God's presence. And it's the most beautiful gift in the entire world to have a relationship with God. It's the most valuable thing in the entire world. And so if you've ever been wondering, man, why, why, why do I have to follow all these rules? Why do I have to do these, these things as a Christian? I mean, they're not just because God's bored and he's looking to give you stuff to do. They're not because the pastor's like, oh man, I just, just feel like the, these people need to shape up. Now we, we, we seek God, we seek his word because God says, this is what I value. And, and if God's presence truly is the most beautiful gift, then I want to value what he values. So we treasure the presence of God. That's the first thing. How do we remain faithful? The second thing of how we remain faithful is this. We treasure the people of God. We treasure the presence of God, and we treasure the people of God. You know, in the story of 2 Kings, it was clear that Manasseh was not the only problem. And that not only had he rebelled against God, but the people of God had rebelled. And so I think it's so important because we have to think for a moment and ask ourselves the question, man, am I around people that are pulling me away from God? Or am I around people that, that are helping me to treasure God's presence? I want to tell you two stories, both from the Bible. The first one is about a man named Lot. Now, Lot is famous in the Bible, or rather infamous, because he is the nephew of Abraham. Abraham, if in case you're wondering, that's how the nation of Israel all got started. It all kind of goes back to Abraham at the very beginning of Genesis. But Lot and Abraham, they are uncle and nephew. And Lot is Abraham's nephew. And Lot is this kind of rather tragic figure because even though he is considered a righteous man in the Bible, he makes a lot of very unwise decisions that end up harming him and harming his entire family. And one of the worst decisions that he makes is he gets connected to a place called Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, in case you're not familiar with the Bible, and that's okay if you're not, Sodom and Gomorrah is one of the uh, darkest places uh, in the Bible's history. In fact, uh, throughout the rest of the Bible, um, multiple times it's recorded, uh, they're as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. So they're like Las Vegas on steroids if we're thinking about, oh man, this is like a terrible city or an awful city. And I don't have any problem with Las Vegas, by the way, but it's kind of like when the, the Bible is thinking about that, the Bible is thinking, man, like, like, Terrible city, bad stuff is happening there. And, and I want you to notice something because it's really interesting. Lot, he starts off and he's in this close relationship with Abraham, who is a man of God. 
But, but then something happens, and I want you to look on the screen because we can notice a progression. In Genesis chapter 13, it says this, Lot moved his tents and to a place near Sodom, and he settled among the cities of the plain. Then if you keep reading through the Bible, in Genesis chapter 14, just a chapter later, we learn this, that Lot was living in Sodom. And then if you keep reading in Genesis 19, we read that Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. The gateway is a place of honor and respect. And so what this communicates to me is that Lot maybe began with the intention of just providing for his family, doing great things for his family, hopefully just building a better life for himself. But over the course of time, he drifted slowly towards disaster. And he drifted slowly away from God, away from his people, and towards something that was going to be harming him. L listen, you know the enemy it is, is crafty. You and I, we have an enemy and he's really smart. And, and he knows if he comes to you with this line, like, hey, you should just walk away from God. Like he knows we're probably smart enough that, that we're not gonna, we're gonna see through that one. Like, Satan, is that you telling me to walk away from God? Probably so. So he is craftier than that. He's smarter than that. He's scheming beyond that. And, and he knows that if he can get us to, because of pride, because of selfishness, because of unforgiveness, because of bitterness in our hearts, if he can get us to kind of separate ourselves from the community of God, that it, we're going to be much easier to walk away from God. It's so important for us to treasure the people of God so that we can be faithful as we continue to walk out the call that God has for us. Remember, I was going to tell you two stories. The first story is about Lot. But the second story I want to tell you is, is uh, found in the book of Malachi. Now, in the book of Malachi, it's the last book in the Old Testament. And one of the fascinating things that we discover there is that uh, really the people of Israel are in just about as bad of a position as they were during the time of Manasseh. It's a little later, but things are just as bad. God in the book of Malachi is writing to them, and over and over he's like, hey, here's your struggles, here's the things that you're not doing great, here are the problems, okay? So God writes to the people in the book of Malachi, and pretty much in the book of Malachi, he's bringing his list of complaints to them. They're not doing great. But then there's this really interesting group of verses in Malachi chapter 3. I love this. It's one of my favorite group of verses in the Bible. And it says this. It says in Malachi 3, it's on the screen. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them, as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. I love that first portion. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written. So, Here's what this verse means. When you and I meet together and we talk about what God's doing in our life, we're listening to each other, but God's also listening. And it literally says God is journaling 
about those who fear him, about those who are walking with him. God is keeping track of this. And so can I encourage you, when we're coming here and we're singing praises to God and we're lifting him up, God is here and he's paying attention to that. When you're in exchange community groups or life groups, when you're grabbing coffee with a friend, looking to grow your faith, God is there and he's with you and he's helping you to move forward. And I don't know about you, but, but I, I want to be having conversations with my friends that God's like, I like that. I want more of that. And when we talk to each other, when we treasure each other, when we are around each other, it helps us to be able to treasure the presence of God. So we've talked about treasuring the presence of God. We've talked about treasuring the people of God. And here's what we're going to do. The last thing is believe in the mercy of God. I'm, I'm wrapping up now. We're almost done. And I've really enjoyed my time with you guys. But it's interesting because we read about Manasseh and we read part of the story. But first, or Second Kings actually leaves out uh, what I consider to be a really important detail. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and if you want to, you can flip over to 2 Chronicles 33. Um, if not, I'll read it to you. But in 2 Chronicles 33, we have um, a parallel account of Manasseh's life. And it starts off much the same, that he sacrifices his son, that he builds altars in the temple of God, that he sheds innocent blood. But then we record a little, we get a little extended director's cut of the scene. And in verse 10, it says this, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people. This is 2 Chronicles 33, verse 10. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon when he was in distress. And he entreated the favor of the Lord and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. So what just happened? Manasseh gets captured by the Assyrian army, one of the worst ar armies to be captured. And while he is in captivity, he humbles himself. He repents. He actually says, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please help me. And, and this is kind of crazy because Manasseh is about as bad as it gets. And, and I'm wondering, like I was thinking, man, if I was God, what would I do? But, but look what God does. Verse 13, it says this, Manasseh prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty. And he heard his plea and he brought him again to Jerusalem and into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. God. And if you keep reading, what we'll discover is Manasseh actually tears down those altars. He stops the worship of any false god. And he actually begins for the rest of his life to worship the Lord. Now, this is pretty mind-blowing. And, and to be honest, it, it actually makes me like a little bit uncomfortable. Because I think that there are people in the Bible that are kind of heroes of the Bible that do a lot of good stuff and then mess up at the end. And like my heart for them is like, God, like they were so good for so long. Come on, just like forgive them. But, but like it's hard for me to read this and be like, imagine all the horrible stuff that Manasseh did. And then he's just like, hey, God, I'm really sorry. Please get me out of these chains. And God forgives him. But as I thought about that, I really remembered 
Like, there actually isn't any good people. There is no one that's righteous. All of us have sinned. All of us have walked away from God. And all of us need his grace and his mercy. And so as we close, just a couple of things to think about from the story of Manasseh. First off, I think this encourages us to keep praying for the people in our lives and for the community around us. Because if we're in a place where we're thinking about someone who's far from him, or even if we look at the culture around us and think, man, everything is so far gone. If we're in that place, if Manasseh can turn around, anybody can turn around. Man, if, if Manasseh is, is, is too far gone, everybody's too far gone. But, but if he's not, th then no one's too far gone. So let's keep praying. Let's also just keep believing that God can do something miraculous. And I know that at this church, you guys are seeing lives change. At our church, we are seeing lives change. I preached at our church last week, and I saw a guy walk up after the service that had been not in church for 15 years, and he said, this is my first time back in 15 years. I want to serve God. I want to follow God. The next service, I talked to a woman, same thing. Man, I haven't been in church in a long time. I haven't very, really been religious, but God's moving in my life. I want to follow him. The next service, I talked to somebody, and God did a supernatural work in this guy's life right in front of my eyes. God is moving. No one is too far gone. We got to believe that, and we got to be a people, even as a church, exchange church. I want you guys to be hungry to say, God, we want to see more people in our community meet Jesus through this church. I want to see more people encounter the love and the grace of God. And here's the last thing. Maybe you're in this room and you walked in here and you were full of shame and full of condemnation. Maybe you felt like that if, if I came in here, God was gonna strike me down because of what I've done, because of the thoughts I've thought, because of the prayers I've prayed, because of the things I've said. Maybe you even thought, well, like, maybe if I'm at like an elementary school, like, I can sneak in and sneak out a little bit more and then go into like a church with like a cross on it or something like that. I don't know. But man, can I tell you, God loves you. God brought you here for a reason and he brought you here to tell you that he wants to pursue you, that he has a heart for you, that his mercy and his grace are for you. And listen, if God can forgive the worst king in Judah, What's your excuse? God can forgive you as well. So let's take a moment and let's pray to our God. If everyone would please bow your heads and close your eyes. Worship team, y'all can make your way up. God, I want to take a moment and I want to just thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, I ask that we would be a people that would treasure your presence, that would love what you love, that would want to make you feel welcome in our lives. God, I want to pray for this church. God, I pray that you would bless the community in this church. I pray that we would be a people that love you, but that love each other. I pray that you would bless the relationships, the friendships, the groups in this church so that we can continue to treasure you. And God, I also want to ask that we would believe in the power of your mercy. Lord, I pray if there are people here that have been praying 
for a friend, a family member that doesn't know you, that today would be a renewed reminder to keep praying because your grace and your mercy are not done. And I just want to take a moment, if there is anybody in here that doesn't know you, if you're here and, and you don't know Jesus, maybe that you, you walked in here and for the first time in a long time, you wanted to actually reach out and connect to God. Maybe you're like the people that I told you about earlier, that you grew up in church, you were around the church, but now you want to come back to God. Maybe right now just God is speaking to your heart. Here's what I want to ask you to do. I just want to ask you right now if you would just take a moment and in your heart, pray to God. I'm not going to make you do anything. I'm not going to embarrass you. But just in your heart to God, just pray. And just say, dear God, I thank you that you love me. I thank you that you saved me. I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for my sins so that I can have forgiveness, so that I could have new life, so that I could be redeemed and restored. God, I pray that you would help me to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, I just want to encourage you, if God's moving in your life, don't leave here without telling somebody. I'm happy to talk to you, but even better, would love to point you to somebody who's here at this team that can get you connected to the church. Man, it was so such a privilege being here with you guys. We're going to worship to close out, so I want to invite you to stand to your feet.